Join with me in turning to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8. And as you're turning there to Mark 8, I want to remind you that the book of Mark really is a short story. It's one of my favorite Gospels. It moves quickly through certain stories of the life of Jesus. It, of course, is the shortest of the Gospels. And here in chapter 8, we really have the book climaxing upon this one question that Uh, this one-pointed question, at least, that Jesus makes here towards his disciples, and that is, who do you say that I am? He's already asked them, who do people say that I am? But now he asks them, who do you say that I am? Of course, Peter jumps in and says, you are the Christ. And this is something only that God could have given him, Jesus tells us in, uh, in the Gospels. And so this climax, we are sort of right on the the tail end of that, and I want to pick up here with verse 38 of Mark chapter 8. Notice here this reading. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, but Turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And he called to him the crowd and his disciples and said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? For what can a man give in return for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said this to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. We pray now that you would speak to our hearts, make it a word for us, and may we respond with true faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. An adulterous and sinful generation. Sound familiar? It really is something that we, that virtually everybody in America would agree upon. And that is, we, things are not right. We are living in a time where things are not okay in America. It doesn't matter if you are Republican or Democrat, conservative, liberal, if you or are, consider yourself gay or straight, everybody is saying something's not right. We agree, virtually agree universally on the problem, that there is a problem and that something needs to be done. The rub comes with the solution. We do not all agree upon a solution. So what is the answer to this question of what do we do now? We are living in an adulterous 
and sinful generation. Adultery, not just meaning the act that is carried about by married men and women, but rather being adulterous toward God. For truly, He has made us for Himself. We are His bride. He is our husbandman. He has betrothed Himself to us. And just as the prophets foresaw long before Jesus even came, that we are married to God. And when we sin and when we turn our backs on God, we are committing an act of adultery. And so this language is very tough, but it summarizes during Jesus' day their time. It summarizes our time. And, and so the question is really, what do we do now? As I said last year about this time coming back from India, we have gone from sort of cruising along in America on a road Uh, the road of Christianity being a, quote, Christian nation, to now we are no longer uh, a Christian nation. Uh, We only have the shell of such. We have jumped the curve. We're on a path. The way is narrow. It is hard. It's not going to be an easy road anymore. And that's okay. The church has been here before. It's nothing new. Uh, It seems to sometimes be more dangerous for the church, actually, when we're on a nice paved road before us. And that seems to be the place where we fall asleep at the will. Instead, we found ourselves on a path, on a bumpy road, on a curvy road, where where it's not clear how we proceed. And that's okay. Uh, God calls us to a narrow way. He calls us to a more difficult way. But why? And how? And what is God going to do to save the world? And to put it frankly, to put it uh, sort of ground zero here, um, God is going to save the world through saints. You say, that's a really odd answer um, to all the problems in the world is you're saying saints. Uh, now, saints is sort of a word we don't necessarily use. I would be very uncomfortable if someone used that of, of me, and I'd sort of be uncomfortable to use it toward you. Uh, but nonetheless, Paul uses this term in the epistles when he writes to people. He says, to the saints of God at Corinth, to the saints of God at X, Y, Z. Wherever he's writing to, he refers to them as saints, holy ones, ones that are dedicated to God's service, ones that look like God. And so these saints are the ones who God will use as his plan uh, to save the world. And so we have to begin to see here in Acts that Jesus really is telling something that we've heard before in our own life, uh, but yet it is very difficult to do. So in other words, I'm not going to preach something here that is novel and new, but rather something that you're probably very familiar with and yet is very difficult to do. Essentially, Jesus says, look, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to be a holy one, a saint of God, then you must deny yourself. Self-denial. Because self is the problem. It's the problem with becoming a saint. The self, the I, the me. It's not the problem of the devil. It's not the problem of uh, the world. It's not the problem of my upbringing. It is me. Sin runs right through all of us. We oftentimes like to set up 
a position where it's us against them, whether that be conservative, liberal, or whatever you might claim yourself to be. You set yourself up as it's us against them, when in fact the problem runs through us all, doesn't it? It runs right through me. And that is why I must be the one to be dealt with, not someone else. Our first parents already tried blaming somebody else in the garden. You did it. He did it. It did it. The serpent. And so we find that that is fruitless. It's fruitless to blame someone else. We're here. So let's not blame others. Instead, let's do like the prophets of old, as Daniel did himself, who identified with the sins of his people and prayed for forgiveness. Can we do the same as we deny ourselves, put others in front of ourselves? Saints are not focused on self, but God. I recently had to augment the way that I prayed. Um, in years past, I've, I've tried to curtail this. Uh, and the whole way that I even understood that it came about was because I heard my children praying. And when they would pray, they would primarily the majority of their praying would be about protection. And I thought to myself, is that what I really want to carry on to my children? Is that we pray to God for protection? Now again, that's fantastic to pray for protection. We've already this morning prayed for our travelers that are out today, uh, wherever they may be, that, they, that God would protect them. And that is okay. But our conversation cannot and must not primarily be about protection. And the reason why is because we are going to suffer in this life. We will meet bad times. We will think at times that God Himself is not protecting us. Now, at this point, whether that's true or not, um, let's just say the Scripture is very clear that we will suffer in this life. And so to always pray for protection only means simply that we are going to be let down because we will suffer in this life. You can guarantee that and death. Um, it will happen. So I heard my kids praying this way and I asked myself, is this the kind of communion that I want them to have with God? always asking for protection. And so I began to pray instead in, in different ways in order for them to see that this is about God and others and not just ourself. Because a saint isn't focused on self, but God. This is at the heart of our doctrine of entire sanctification. That God can cleanse the self, the I, me. And this cleansing is a reorientation of ourself. The self not turned inward upon itself, but outward toward others. Loving God and loving others. We must, my brothers and sisters, practice self-denial. When is the last time that we denied ourselves? We live in a culture of much, a culture of indulgence. And yet we know deep down that it does not satisfy. 
Pleasing ourself does not make us happy. If you get to do what you want today, it doesn't make you happy. Not in the end. Not ultimately. But, being in loving relationships, that makes us happy. Being in a loving relationship with God, that makes us happy. And so, we find a principle at work in God's kingdom that is unlike the world. And that is, when we give of ourselves, when we deny ourselves, we find joy and happiness in our relationships. No one wants to be and celebrate a relationship that's all about a selfish purpose. Dads today on Father's Day are not celebrated for their selfishness. Going about and doing what they want to do. Forsaking those that they've helped bring into the world. But rather, the dads that are celebrated are the ones who give of themselves sacrificially, deny themselves sacrificially. There is a principle in the kingdom of God that is at work, and that is, if we deny ourselves, we are on the path to holiness, to being a saint. So let's practice intentionally. I know it's not Lent, but let's practice intentionally denying ourselves this week. Let's have seasons in our life where we deny ourselves from things so that God might arise, that God might descend in power. When we are saved, we receive all of the Holy Spirit, but He does not have all of us. And there must be times of self-denial so that we can give Him more of ourselves. Just like the children of Israel of old, they were delivered completely from Egypt. And yet, Egypt was still in them. They longed to be like the Egyptians. They longed to be back in Egypt. And until God cleansed them, they were not free. He can make us free if we are willing to pay the price. Who's willing to pay that price this morning? To deny yourself so that God can make us holy. The second thing Jesus says, not only deny yourself, deny yourself and then bear your cross. Take up your cross. And this can mean many things. Bearing bearing one's cross can look very different in our lives. It could be a family member that is very difficult to get along with. It could be forgiving someone that deeply hurt us. We bear those crosses. Jesus says, take up your cross. It could be someone in our family. It could be someone that is a friend of ours. It could be a co-worker. We have different crosses to bear in our life and at different times in our life. But we must take them up. Denying ourselves and taking up our cross that, that is put in our way just as Jesus Himself did. It means being a witness. Taking up the cross is witnessing. The term witness in Greek is simply martyr. There is no difference. There's not two different words. It's one word. 
To be a witness for Jesus is to be a martyr for Jesus. And in today's world where there are more martyrs than ever before, uh, there are really two types of martyrs and witnesses. The first is what I will simply call the quicker way, which is instantaneous sort of, um, you know, what we've seen with, with ISIS in, uh, in recent years where Christians are beheaded or they are killed and they are killed publicly. And this is sort of what I would call a quick witness and yet a lasting one. The second type is a slower witness, a slower martyrdom. In other words, we're all called to be martyrs. But this second calling is a slower one, and that is what is mentioned in Luke. When we take up our cross, we die daily. This is a slower death, but it is of the same importance. We are killed for the faith or we die daily. Both are witnesses to Jesus Christ. In order to be a witness, one has to witness something. You can't testify if you didn't see the wreck. And so if we haven't met the risen Lord, we have nothing to say. But if we have, thanks be to God, we have a witness, we have a testimony, and therefore we can be martyrs for Jesus as we bear the cross. It's a laying down of our lives just as our Jesus did for us. Now the third way is this. To be a saint, not only do you deny yourself and take up your cross, but you follow Jesus. As I said at the beginning, this is getting down to ground zero. This is down to the basics. There was a famous coach that used to say, at the beginning of each season, he would start his football team off by saying, this is a football. And it's just getting down to basics of football. And you got to start with the basics. And the basics of being a Christian, the basics of being a saint is this. Follow Jesus. It's about a relationship with Jesus, about knowing Him, about loving Him. Our ultimate call is to follow Jesus, He is our first love. Everything else in our life is secondary. Let's get back down to the basics. Now, I was at Beulah Holiness Camp meeting this past week, and sometimes Beulah kind of brings up some odd things for me in my mind, and I never had really sort of researched the term. It's actually mentioned once in the Bible, and it's mentioned in Isaiah. It actually has to do with marriage being married in the land. And this term Beulah means that. And it has, again, this idea that we are married to God. And that when we sin, when we go our own way, when we choose to ignore God's love or to not receive His grace, we are adulterating cheating on Him. Who's willing to pay the price to follow Jesus? It's about loving God and loving our neighbor as ourself. The secret of the kingdom of happiness is to give it away, 
not to keep it. This is exactly what Jesus tells them. You try to keep your life, you are sure to lose it. If you give away your life for the gospel to Jesus, you will gain life. This is what we find in our relationships. Happiness is not selfishness, but holiness. So let's obey this morning without delay. Let's have an obedience that does what our Father says. He is a good Father. And on this Father's Day, He's the archetype of all fathers. I don't define what fatherhood is, thankfully, but He does. And as we look to our Father, could we have an obedience that does what He says when He says it? That obeys on demand, if you will. Reminds me of a story, and I'll end with this. Reminds me of a story of Jackson when he was younger in 2011. And we had the boys there, and the storms were coming through. You may remember April 27th of that year. And there were hundreds, literally, of tornadoes coming across the land that day in Alabama. We had already had some, uh, some to go over us. And Jessica told the boys this, she said very seriously, you need to do today what I say when I say it. And as the meteorologist on the uh, radio, our TV was out, at that point the power was gone, as the meteorologist on the radio was near crying, telling us how bad these storms were, we prepared the bathtub to get in it, It was the safest place in that home of ours and had a mattress that I was going to throw over the top of us and we were going to try to ride each tornado out as it came. And as we prepared to do that, Jessica got the boys in there. I was watching out the window. I told her, hey, it's time. Let's let's get in there. And uh, she turned to the boys and said, get in the tub. She had already told them very clearly, do what I say right when I say it, without delay. And so she turns back around to do something with the baby at that time. uh, And she turned, and and I get in there, and I turn back toward where Jackson was, and he's standing there butt naked. (laughs) Um, So we're like, she's like, whoa, what son, what are you doing? And he says to her, you said get in the tub. (laughs) And so he obeyed immediately, uh, only way he knew how to get in the tub was to get naked. And so he did what his mother said out of a pure heart, even though the obedience wasn't perfect. Um, his heart was perfect in the fact that he did what she said uh, when she said it. Couldn't we have a, a childlike faith like that? Aren't we too? When God says to do something, we do it. And even if it's imperfect, that's okay. He's a loving father, just like that loving mother uh, who will say, Son, not exactly, but... But you're doing the right thing. And so he's a good father. We are to have a childlike faith toward him as we obey him. Notice childlike faith, not a childish faith. And so if we have been dabbling with serving self, that's a losing game. Could we today give up our life? Be a martyr. Be a witness. Obey without delay. 
who's willing to pay the price this morning. If we lay our lives down as Jesus did, we will receive life, life eternally. Happiness and holiness will be a saint. Amen.